All right, well, today we're going to begin a new series. It's going to be mostly an introduction today. But over the next several weeks, um, Ian and myself are going to be exploring some keywords that start with the letter B. So, therefore, it is the B series. Very creative, I know. Um, I worked really hard on that. It took me all about 30 seconds to come up with that. Um, but they're really important words. We're going to explore what does belief or believing really mean. We're going to look at that next, next week and, and try to understand what faith is, where it comes from, how it grows, how it um, is designed to work in our hearts and our lives. We're going to explore what it means to belong, to belong to God, to belong to his family, to belong to one another, what that should look like. We're going to explore then also how we take what we believe and allow through the power of God's word and through his Holy Spirit for it to fuel who we become, to where we truly become a follower of Jesus Christ in every way possible. And then we're going to explore our mission. God has called us to do his work in this world, to befriend others as he has befriended us that we are to develop relationships and connections here in this life that impact eternity. And in each one of these, we're going to discover more of what God has for us in a life that is abundant because it is connected to him. And so I hope it's going to be something that, that is fresh, even though we're going to cover maybe for some, some familiar passages of Scripture. Um, I hope you'll discover something very real, very tangible, and enable us to truly become who God created us to be. Now, today's going to be really practical, and so um, I, I apologize to um, Selena on the graphics, because I'm going to jump around here. In order for us to really put this into practice, uh, I need to give you some preparation for next week, and because next week we're going to look at the word believe. And uh, Belief, the scripture is very clear that faith comes from one place. It comes, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ, it tells us in Romans chapter 10. Therefore, if we're going to believe, we have to immerse ourselves in God's word. And the best way to start a new year is to make sure that we're finding ways to help one another deepen our belief deepen our understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And the great thing is, unlike any other time in history, God has made it through the gift of technology incredibly easy for you to spend time in his word. How many of you use public transportation on a frequent basis? All right, that, that would be the vast majority of us. And what happens on Prague public transportation, it tends to be unlike other places in the world, you hear very few conversations. Unless you're there with a, a particular group of tourists um, who didn't tend to talk a whole lot. But if you're just there traveling, if you're on your way to work or on your way to school, it tends to be really quiet. It is a wonderful time to explore God's word. Not the only time. But it's one of those times where what I read in the morning and I spend some time with, I go back to on, uh, on, on the transport to, allow, to chew on it a little bit more. And so one of the great things that we have today are, are apps that give us the Bible in incredible ways. And so if you'll jump to the end of the, of the message slides, 
Um, some of you already use this, but for others that don't, there's a great free app at bible.com app that will give you a free Bible in hundreds of different languages. Not only a, a written Bible, but also an audio Bible. And they have a children's Bible for parents that it's, it's, it is awesome. It basically goes through some of the key stories of Scripture, and, and it's there recorded, and they have activities that go with it, and, so, and, and beautiful graphics that are designed. And so you can, you can read it in Tagalog, you can um, read it in Dutch, you can read it or listen to it in English or Spanish or Czech, and they're great, great tools. But how many of you already, ha- how many already use... Um, Use that. Okay, and go ahead, get your phone out if you have it with you and you have that on your phone. If you've connected with the, with the, with the version or the Bible app, there's a, event, or there's a thing there called events. If you look under the more section of it, um, if you go to events, it will give you what's happening in your region. And there will be one event that comes up in Prague and it happens to be here. Okay, so if you click on that, and it's a little reading plan, a simple way to get you started in the scriptures. Now, if you don't have the app yet, I encourage you to get it. If you don't want to use it, if you're non-technological, that's okay. Just email me, which would require you to use technology. But email me anyway, and I will send it to you in written form on how to do this this really simple plan. But what we're going to encourage you to do is the first one is, is a nine-day, really simple, strengthening your faith, time to look at the scriptures. And then we're going to be developing some things that encourage us together to go through the scripture and make it applicable to our hearts and our lives. Okay? So that was all commercial, but it's a good commercial because we want to be immersed in God's word and use it in some very practical ways. And so feel free um, to use your phone, download the app while I'm talking. Just, you know, don't do any crosswords or solitaire at the same time. But get the app. You can look at it. You can pick whatever language that you want. That's the beauty of it. And you can download it. Many of them are, like I said, are not only written, but they're also in audio form. Um, You can put notes in there. You can highlight. It's a great resource for getting into God's Word. Okay? And you'll, as you begin to discover it, if you have questions, feel free Uh, to email me, and we'll help you find ways to use this to get into God's Word in great, great ways. All right. Well, today, we're going to explore being. William Shakespeare, in his great play, Hamlet, has the most familiar, perhaps, um, words in the English language, at least that come out of drama, comes from the speech of Hamlet, where he asked the posing question, to be or not to be? That is the question. And in fact, that whole little speech is just filled with, with things that have been um, used in all kinds of settings. In fact, if you're a Star Trek fan, you will find references to Hamlet's monologue all the way through there. If you read through, the, through it, you'll, discover, you'll find the undiscovered country, which was the search for Spock, right? Thank you, fellow nerds. Um, you'll find all kinds of things in there that have been used even in modern times. But that question... In the play, Hamlet is wrestling with his own existence. He's come to a point of despair in his life. 
And he asks that question, is life worthwhile? Is it worth living? Is my, does my existence matter? And I want to pose to you that it is the right question, but the wrong context. To be or not to be is a very good question for us to ask, but not about our existence, rather about our relationship. And especially about our relationship with God. For many, Christianity is something that you do. We go to church. We have a set of behaviors where we say, these are right things to do. These are wrong things to do. And even though I I sometimes do them or maybe often do them, I don't want anybody to know about them. And so I pretend like I don't do those things. Um, And and it becomes this balancing act of trying to, to do more to eventually somehow feel like I have earned the approval of God. That God should take notice of me in a positive way. But that is not what God has called us to. He doesn't call us to doing. He doesn't call us to work, to earn our salvation. It is a gift that he has given to us. He calls us to be his to become who he created, saved, and calls us to be. And when we move from doing where church and spiritual life and reading the Bible and spiritual disciplines, where those change from being something we do to becoming who we actually are and the very life that connects us with Christ on a continual basis, you will find abundant joy. You will find the life that God came to give us because he didn't come to simply modify your and my behavior. He came to give us life. And it is found when we become, when we live, when we exist as his followers, as his children. Now, many have compared the Christian life to a journey, and I think it's a pretty good comparison. But if you're going on a journey, you need to understand what your destination is, or you'll never get there. You'll never find your way there. Now, here's the challenge. For many of us, when we think about the Christian journey, we think the destination is heaven, right? That is not the destination, That is not what we are destined for. Heaven is an incredible gift, but heaven is heaven because God is there. Just as Eden was paradise, not just because it was a beautiful garden, everything that God had made was amazing when he created the earth. And before sin, it was all beautiful. Now, there may have been some specific beauty to the garden that set it apart in some ways, but what truly made it paradise was the fact that God would come and have fellowship with Adam and Eve intimately. In the same way, when Jesus talks to the, to the thief on the cross and when the thief says to him, Um, Master, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The best part of that was not paradise, but was being with Christ. 
So I want to show you from the scripture our destination. And there's two passages of scripture that, that make this really clear. The first one is found in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 verses 28 through 30. Here's what the scripture tells us about our ultimate destiny, our ultimate destination, the end of the Christian life. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, in the history of the church, in some ways, this passage has, has been filled with distraction about the word predestination and, and we're not gonna spend necessarily a whole lot of time there. If you have some questions, I'm happy to dialogue with you on this and we can look at it and explore what the scripture says. But here's what I want you to make sure you grab a hold of. What does it say we are destined to be? Conform to the image of Christ. That is our destination. That is ultimately what God wants to do in you and in me is he wants to make you and I like Jesus Christ so that we can have fellowship through him with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son. That he can make us one to unify us to himself. Ultimately, that is what we're called to be. And that begins now. It doesn't have to wait until heaven. It will be completed and transformed when Jesus returns, but it is something you can experience right here and right now. Now, now what does this mean, this conformed to his image? Well, the best way I know to describe it is, is if you look at this in the original language, it, it has a lot to do with the imprint of character, and the, the picture behind it is that of a coin. On a coin, you have two sides that have been um, pressed together in a die. And, and what happens is you have a lower die that usually sits on a, an anvil or a very hard piece of stone that's fixed. And then in ancient times, you would have a top die that often had the image of, um, of the leader, of the king, depending on what country you would come from, or maybe a design just like the coins do today. And they would place another die on the top and a piece of metal in between, and then they would use a hammer to drive between those two dies and imprint on that coin the image. That's the picture of it saying to be conformed means to be imprinted with the likeness of Jesus Christ, to become like who he is. He saved us, not just so we can go to heaven, but so that we can be transformed and that fellowship that humanity had when God first created us can be renewed and restored. That's our destination. The destiny of our faith, what we are to become ultimately is like Jesus. And the word destiny and destination come from the exact same root. If you trace its etymology, it means an event or identity that has been firmly established established in this case by God.
Now, with that background, let's go to our key passage and let's just take a few moments before we um, celebrate the Lord's Supper together and see how this plays out in the scripture in 1 John. 1 John, I want you to back up just a little bit to before we're been read uh, into chapter 2 in verse 28. The letter of 1 John is an amazing, amazing book that helps us understand what Christian character looks like and the power to be able to live it that comes through Jesus Christ, through abiding in him and his word abiding in us. And it gives us all kinds of prompts and motivations about how God wants to transform us. Not behavior uh, modification, but his spirit, his word working in us to change us. And if you look here at 1 John 2, verse 28, he says this, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Now that verse is great. It is powerful because it is important for us to think about the truth that Jesus Christ will return. Just as we sang earlier in the creed, we believe in the resurrection. We believe that Jesus Christ will return. He will return and he will receive his church and he will receive the rightful recognition of King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We need to remember he is coming back soon, maybe today. And what he's telling us here in 1 John is John is saying, we don't want to be ashamed that it's coming. Now, that doesn't just mean that we don't want to be engaged in habitual sin when he comes. We want to be expectant. Our son Sam, who's a far better preacher than his father, did a, a message a couple years ago at our, well, we've been here a long time now, so several years ago at our church in Colorado, and, and he was, it wasn't this verse, but it was a very similar passage he was preaching on, and, and I remember so distinctly when he preached it, he said, I don't want to be surprised. He says, I want to be growing closer to Jesus Christ so that when he comes, I'm, I'm like, yes, this is exactly what I've been waiting for to see you for who you truly are, to be welcomed in your presence. You see, that's the expectancy on a positive side of what he's saying here is we want to live expectant that Jesus is coming back and he's doing a work in us and through us so that when he comes, the only emotion we experience is absolute joy because we're with the one who loves us the most. The first aspect to really focusing in on that destination is remembering that Jesus is coming. God in his word wants us to remember when life looks bleak, when we see evidence that the world is beginning to spin out of control, it is simply a reminder that Jesus is coming back. He will set things right. His return is a reminder also of how we are to live. We are to live with confidence and with a desire that if he came back today, it would not be an event that would cause shame in our heart, but great joy. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, 
you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. What he's saying here is that yes, when you become who he saved you to be, it will transform your behavior. You will take on his righteousness and he will live it out through you. And what others will see is the imprint of Jesus Christ on your life and on my life. And then this beautiful passage here in verse, chap, excuse me, starting in chapter three. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. Here in this passage, John answers the most important questions of life. He explores the who of who we are the why and the purpose of our life, the how and how we are able to enter into that purpose, the where and the what. He actually answers the question to be or not to be and his answer is a resounding yes, be a child of God because that is where life is. That is where we find the fulfillment, the hope, the joy, the purpose that our lives long for. So we're to be a child of God. See what kind of love the Father has lavished or given to us that we should be called children of God. And I want you to notice that next phrase, and so we are. It doesn't say, and so you might be. And so if you work hard enough and you do enough things, if you give enough money, if you go to church enough times, and so you might perhaps arrive at. It says that is who we are. If you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you are as much a child of God with all of the rights, all of the inheritance that comes with that as you will ever be right now. But do you believe that? Or in practice, do you go, I know I'm a child of God, but I don't really think God's very happy with me. There may be things in our relationship that he needs to deal with, and, and especially when we come to the Lord's Supper, we are prompted to examine our heart and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal in us sin that needs to be confessed and presented and turned from in our life. And remember that God is holy and righteous, but understand also he's adopted you and he doesn't turn his back on his children. You are his child. The question is, am I living with that truth? Am I living as if I am his child? The term child of God in this verse carries with it a legal aspect that defines our relationship, our position, our status, and our connection in Jesus Christ. First of all, the relationship is we are a child of God because he loves us, because he first loved us, not because we've earned it or deserved it, because none of us do, but in his love, He's adopted us. Secondly, we have a position. We are in Christ and we are joint heirs with him. 
This means that you and I have an inheritance that is ours because of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, earlier than what we read, in verses 16 and 17 says this, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. He's saying that this life is going to be complicated. We're going to find struggle and difficulty, even as Jesus found struggle and difficulty in this life. But we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And so therefore, we need to turn from the false belief that God has favorites amongst his children. He loves you and wants you to live out your life as his son, as his daughter, in all the privileges that come with that. We're We're given a status. We are God's children. We can't earn that status, neither can we lose it, because it is his work. It is who we are. You will never be more of a child than God, a child of God than you are right here at this moment. The question is, are we living up to our identity? And also, there is a connection. We share Jesus' life. 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4 tells us this about this life that we share in Christ. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted us to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. In other words, so that the imprint of Christ may be seen in you, may come to life, may be raised up in you, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Here's the truth he's trying to point out to us. Your destiny is to become like Christ and to be conformed to his image. And when you do, all the promises that we have in the scripture find their yes in Jesus Christ. Now that illustrates two very important things. Number one, it means that we need to know what God's word says. We need to know the promises. That's why the most important decision you can make if you've already trusted Christ as Savior and Lord is to immerse yourself in his word. And when we come to New Year's, it's a good time to to remember that we want to make some transformations in our life, changes in our habits. And that's why I want to encourage us to begin reading through the scriptures together to enhance, to immerse ourselves in God's word and allow it to become life-giving. But also, here in this passage, he tells us not to be conformed to the world. Unfortunately, the pressure that is placed on your life and my life by our own sin, by the culture around us, calls us to think that there is life found in the way that the world operates rather than than the reality that life is found in Christ. And so we need to examine what's putting pressure on you and me. 
Am I conforming my life to the world, the belief, the cultures, the ideas around me? Or am I allowing God's word to transform me into the likeness of Jesus Christ? Much of the unhappiness that we experience in life is because we fail to live out the identity God has given us and allow his word to transform us. We are often full of fear, insecurity, and sadness, some of which is our own fault because of our own choices, some of which is the effect of what others have done to us, but ultimately, our unhappiness is a result of looking at our circumstances rather than looking at Christ and seeing the new life and identity he has given to us. Because as a child of God, you get it all. We have incredible blessings. He has given it to us because he loves us. And that's, John answers the why. Why are you who you are? Not because we earn it, but because God loves us. He demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So how do we become this? We're gonna wrap it up right here. Look back to chapter two, verse 28. And now little children, abide in him. To abide means that we dwell, that we live in Christ. If you do a study through, especially the letters of the New Testament, you will see one phrase that stands out over and over again if you look for it, and it's the simple phrase, in Christ. And I wanna encourage you, if you're reading through Philippians or Galatians or Ephesians or any of these, these letters, to look for that phrase and maybe underline it. Or if you get the Bible app, you can highlight it in a particular color and, and look for what it says. Because those are the promises, those are the things that God has said, this is what you get in me. This is the life I want you to experience. But it comes from learning them, from knowing them, from immersing ourselves in God's word so that it becomes who we are. Now, here's what that means. I mentioned to you that there are two dyes that make a coin, a lower one and an upper one that come together to leave the imprint. And in our becoming or our being a child of God, there are two things that God uses to bring about that transformation. Number one is faith. And faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of Christ. As your belief is transformed, your life will be changed. Because here's a truth. You will never become more than you believe. At least not until we stand face to face and see with our own eyes the truth of who Jesus Christ is. But as our faith is increased, so does the transformation power of God's word and God's Holy Spirit come alive within us. The second thing he uses is fellowship. And this fellowship or communion is being in his presence, getting to know him, praying to the Lord. And it's represented in the Lord's Supper, in communion, because God is inviting us into his presence. And here's kind of an illustration. When we look at God's word, when we read it, 
It's like going out into the field if we were, if we were farmers and we harvest the grain. We'll begin to take the seeds of the grain off of it and we begin to gather it in and we, we gain some, some knowledge just as we gain some grain. But then what are we gonna do with that grain? Because grain by itself isn't that exciting. You need to do something with it. You need to grind it and you make it into flour um, or you process it in some way. In the same way, we take God's word and we ask, by, ask his Holy Spirit to guide us and to teach us and we study it and we learn it, we chew on it and we apply it to our own heart and life. But it doesn't end there. We not only grind it like we take the, the, the grain and, and make it into flour, we then allow it to bring forth its own life so that it becomes bread. We make it into something that is not just for us, but something that's meant to be shared. And that's what God has done. That's the illustration he gives us in communion. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And in communion, we have bread that represents his body, which was given for us. And we have the cup, which represents his blood, which was shed for us. God is extending through this table and he's saying, this is who I want you to be. I want you to trust what I have done for you on the cross, the work that I have done. And I want you to become a child of God, a joint heir with me. I did all the work that was required to pay the penalty of sin so that you could be restored to communion with God. And that's what's pictured in the bread and in the cup. All through the scripture, we see God inviting us to himself because he is the one who gives life. So in a moment here when we serve communion, I want you to remember who you are. That if you've trusted Jesus Christ, you are a child of God with all the inheritance, all the rights of a royal son, a royal daughter, given to you because of Christ Jesus. And he invites you to say, won't you discover what fellowship with me is really like? Won't you make me the Lord of your life, the priority of who you are, don't just allow Christianity to be something you do. If you do, you'll miss out on the life he wants to offer. Let it become who you are. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your son Jesus who gives us life. Lord, there is a response that we have to give to your love. We have to respond in faith and trust you. You say in your word in John that the only way for us to come into your presence, the only way for us to become your child is to be born again because our identity is based upon our birth, not our behavior. It is based upon what you have done for us. And so Lord, for any person here, 
who's never come to the point where they have called upon the name of Jesus Christ and said, Lord Jesus, would you save me? Would you give me life? I want to know you. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to them right now, right where they are. And Lord, that today they would say, Jesus, save me. I recognize I need you. I believe that you are God. I believe that you gave your life on a cross for me. Come into my life. Make me new. The promise of the scripture is if you express your faith in God in that way and call upon the name of Jesus, he says that anyone who calls upon his name will be saved. That you, from that very moment, become a child of God. An exercise of faith based on on the free gift of what God has done. Would you claim your inheritance and get to know the God who loves you so much he gave his life for you? For the rest of us, Lord, let us begin this new year with the desire to be your child, to live out the identity that you have given us in Christ Jesus the fullness of life that you offer to us. Lord, do a work in us because as you change us, the promise of your word is that Jesus Christ will be lifted up and others will see that he is Lord. Lord, we want to see you do great things in this city. We want to see you do great things in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces in our schools. Lord, the way that happens is for us to become all that you have called, saved, and created us to be. So as we come to your table, as we come into your presence, cleanse us of sin. We remember the body of Jesus Christ as represented in the bread, which was given for us. We thank you for the cup, for the blood of Jesus Christ that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins and to close us in your righteousness. And so, Lord, we come to you, Abba. We come to you, Papa, Father, and say thank you for making us your own. Help us to live like your child. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm gonna invite the servers to come and we're gonna celebrate communion together. Um, if you've trusted Christ, you're invited to the table to partake as a child of God.